Coming up on this episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Mick McCarthy's on the line. Say hello. Are you you gaff, I should say. All right, all right, Tony. All right. Tony, Tony, Tony. You know what I love about you, Tony? That you don't give a bollocks about social media. (laughs) It's all Twitter this and Instagram that and pox flicks this and pox flack that and bloody hell. You were a great player, Tony. Great player. Had some fantastic days. Turkey. Ismir. Abracababra. Maybe you should learn how to pronounce Abracababra, Tony. That's your problem. Abracababra. You were well able to eat it, Tony, but not able to pronounce it. Well, Mick McCarthy was just one of the callers who wanted to phone in to chat to this week's special guest, the great, and he is the great, Tony Cascarino. As well as a call from his former gaffer, Mick McCarthy, Tony heard from Roy Keane, Boris Johnson, Steve Staunton, Robbie Keane, and a few more besides, because everyone loves chatting to this man, a legend of Irish international football, famous for his contribution to the Jack Charlton era, a highly respected pundit on radio and TV, and a bit of a cheeky, chappy character to boot. Tony and I chat about sport, poker, footballer salaries, hooliganism, and lots more. And is it true that you were famously sold for a bag of tracksuits? Well, it's a bit of an exaggeration, but it's I was sold for kit, cones, and other things. Tracksuits. <laughs> so there wasn't just tracksuits. <laughs> so you were cones as well. I know one professional, I can't name him, but put three million in about five years ago into an investment that went absolutely belly up and lost, every, lost the whole three million. Mm. That is still going to happen. I used to take my granddad, who was from Mayo. I used to take him to the pub and he'd have his drink and whatever. And I knew that if ever I'd played for Ireland, he would be the proudest man in the world. Only on the odd trip did Roy come out with us when we used to go out in Dublin or even when we was, you know, in different shores. We he didn't really come out. And when he did, most people used to think, where's Roy going? Well, let's not go there then. <laughs> <laughs> My full chat with Tony Cascarino coming up in just a couple of minutes' time. But we're going to stick with the theme of soccer just for the moment because it was a huge week for the sport. Um, and you all know what I'm talking about, of course. The Wagatha Christie trial. Yeah, that's it. All eyes were on two of the game's most controversial and divisive characters. And some of the biggest pundits on TV are dissecting all of the details. And you're welcome back to Sky Sports. Um, we're with Jamie Carragher and Roy Keane. Uh-huh. Jamie, yeah. the Wagatha Christie Cup final that we have just witnessed. What did you think? What an absolutely amazing contest between these two legal teams. You know, right. Rooney and Vardy, titans of the game, you know. Look at Colleen Rooney here. Look, look, look. She's in front of the court. She sees Vardy. Now look at Vardy. Yeah, she gives her a look, doesn't she? Gives her a look. She's saying, come on, let's be having you. Right. You know, they come together. It looks like, a, you know, Vardy's giving Rooney a little nudge there. There she might have been a graze yeah. off the shoulder or something. Yeah. You know, maybe she's looking for a decision from the judge. Roy Keane, what about this altercation? What's no, you... no, it's handbags. It's right. handbags at the end of the day. Right. Look at Vardy here. OK, look at him. Louis Vuitton. Louis Vuitton all day bag. OK. And look at Rooney's bag yeah. at the end of the day. It's a yeah. Gucci. Yes. It's a Gucci. Yeah. The quality, it's a quality Italian bag. Okay. You know, no. she's keeping it simple, it's classic, it's a box-to-box bag. Gucci against Louis Vuitton, you know, what have the French ever won? It's Gucci all day long for me, I'm afraid. What about when Vardy approaches the bench right here? I mean, was that a dangerous... Absolutely, it's dangerous. She's wearing it... Jimmy Choo's. Yeah. Jimmy Choo's. 
four inch heels. Jimmy Juice, they go right through you at the end right. of the day. You know what I mean? I mean, your skirt's a bit short as well. Um, I thought VAR would have a look at that, but I don't know about that. And what about Colleen Rooney? I think Rooney's going to get a penalty awarded against her at the end of the day. But for what, Roy? I mean, she's fouled Vardy on the Instagram. Right. It's a clear foul. And she's look, she's the one looking for a penalty. It's an absolute disgrace. Well, maybe she didn't actually see Vardy, Roy, to be fair. Well, she was wearing Coco Chanel sunglasses. I mean, I'm surprised she could actually see anything. Right. I just don't understand modern day wags. <laughs> Who is going to come out Trumps in this legal battle? It's all to play for. And I think that'll um, unwind itself over the next three weeks, four weeks, maybe, when the, the um, decision comes back. Uh, and the summary judgment. And if you're enjoying the brand new comedy sketches each week, exclusive to you as a loyal fan of the Mario Rosenstock podcast, please make sure to subscribe or follow the series if you haven't already. Just tell a friend, one friend, to check out the show. That's all I'm asking. And give me a follow on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. Uh, And like the little highlight clips from the show um, that we put out there regularly. You can also contact me personally, mariorosenstock at gmail.com. I read them all. I swear I do. And I get back to most of them. Um, I usually use the weekends to get back to 10 or 11 of them at a time. So let's cross right over to this week's special guest. He has been waiting patiently on the bench and he made some great appearances off the bench, didn't he? It's time to make a substitution and get him onto the pitch. Please welcome onto the game the legend of Irish football that is Tony Cascarino. Coincidentally, just a little while before we caught up for our chat, Tony had been talking to the Sunday Times for an article on the 20-year anniversary of Saipan. So we got straight into that whole damn saga again. Weirdly, um, Mario, about oh, 11 o'clock this morning, uh, uh, Paul Lennon, who writes for the yeah. Sunday Times, but you'll probably heard of Paul. Yes. Um, and uh, it's 20 years anniversary of uh, Taipan, you know, and uh, he was asking me all the stuff about Roy and Mick and it was all over old ground. And I always get a bit uncomfortable around Roy because I just feel I've said too much. You know, when you sort of feel, I don't want to go back and keep saying the same things, you know, what I said then, you know. And so but it was interesting. I, I did it. And hopefully, hopefully it's just, you know, it was pretty low key because I've said most of it before. Yeah, actually, it's funny you should bring up Roy because you said, I, I was looking at some of your quotes about it and you said, describing Roy Keane as warm is like describing Mika Richards as miserable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's probably, it probably. How did you get on with them? I I was fine. Um, I had, it was fine. I actually felt I got on as well as most people. But because Roy doesn't do the the mate thing, and you know, oh, let's get numbers. I mean, nobody in my house would knew knew Roy had a phone number or was ever given it. He was lucky with everybody, as in he didn't really have it much interest in being your mate. Um, what he did have an interest in is that. You know, the team functioned well and he played a big part in it. But no, I mean, look, out of all the squad, I probably had about five or six numbers. I mean, I never heard from Jack Charlton once. Yeah. He never phoned me once. He didn't phone. And it wasn't just me. It was everyone said, you heard from Jack? No, I've never thing. You know, and we'd, we'd turn up and, you know, it was nothing special. Jack didn't make a big deal. But Roy was pretty similar in that way that he... He had no interest in having outside what you're doing, where you're going. I mean, I don't, only on the odd trip did Roy come out with us when we used to go out in Dublin or even when we was, you know, in different shores. We, he didn't really come out. And when he did, most people used to think, where's Roy going? Well, let's not go there then. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that story about him on the bus um, with Mick McCarthy? Yes. Um, do, do you, first of all, do you know that story? And second of all, we, did, were you around at that time? Yes, I was. Um, 
it was the US tour, wasn't it? Mm. Um, when we basically went out. Yeah, I, yeah, it was a weird one because Roy deliberately over the years, I felt, looked for a con- confrontation with, with Mick uh, as a captain. Um, and he, he oh, I hate to use this line because it's very unfair on Mick, but I know Roy used to sort of say the line of phony hard man, which Mick wasn't, by the way. He wasn't. He was a totally tough lad that looked after himself if he need be. What he had to do when he was a manager, in which is good management, is to manage Roy and the team really well. He, it was always it was always divided in Ireland between Roy and Mick. You know, where fifty percent would say, "Yeah, oh, he's great, he's honest, and all this," and then the other fifty percent would go, "Well." handed in a very difficult character at times was impossible job for Mick. And I was in that camp. So I aired always on the side of Mick, look, what can Mick do? He knows he's got the best player at Man United. He's winning everything. He's our best player by a country mile. And he needs to, him to be his leader. Mick's not going to look. Any sensible manager would not be going after Roy, knowing that Roy would, you know, get indulged in it. He would, he would actually, he wouldn't shirk away. Um, and I think Mick always knew he had to walk in eggshells to a certain degree. But I thought that's, be, that's just being smart. And eventually one day the eggshells got broken, um, you know, exactly. completely. And it's funny that we talk around this time because you're saying about Paul Lennon and it is 20 years since Saipan. Did you have a certain view back then? And do you have a certain view back now? And has the view changed? Um, my view is pretty much the same. That Roy didn't want to be there. That was quite clear. Um, he didn't particularly want to be at Man United towards the end and he made that quite clear out and the fallout of Man United and us was all all fell apart within 24 hours so it's a bit of a coincidence there where 24 hours later we had a big bust up with Fergie and things that happened with the team and was gone in 24 hours well that happened in 2002 as well with us and not many people will use that comparison but I do because I know that Roy sort of instigated most of the problems with Mick, um, it was obvious. You know, that he's got a rap sheet as long as anybody's, hasn't he, of fallouts, whether he's been an assistant manager, player, um, manager itself. I mean, you know, he has done it. But there's a side that I really missed about Roy. Roy could be really funny, you know, in, in, a, in a way that I just, I just, I remember we was in Lithuania and we played a game and we stayed in a hotel and Roy was the highest paid player in the country at the time. And um, we'd won the game and Roy was playing a game and they were playing, you know, like, I don't know if you've ever seen the film One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Mallory. I have, Jack Nicholson, yeah. Yes, exactly. But do you remember when one of the characters, which is played by Danny DeVito, yes. where he breaks the matchstick and, and, match and break, makes the bet? Yes. Well, Roy, Roy was playing with matchsticks as the rest of the team were. And Roy broke a matchstick and put a bet in it. And the bet was because the matchsticks were a pound and he bet 50p. And I just burst out laughing. I was like, someone flew over the cuckoo's nest. Like the, <laughs> richest, the richest player in the car, the highest paid player in England, is playing for a pound. And, you know, not that we were going crazy, but there was a school with the Irish boys that was a, obviously a lot more livelier. But Roy was just playing away with his matchsticks with the other players in the, in the group. And I found it hilarious. I really thought it was funny. Um, but he, he had a side to him that could be really witty and sharp when he had to be. 
Yeah, no, no, he was. I mean, you do get the sense of him that he's uh, that he's that he's that he's sharp as a tack and bright. And we'll come back. We'll, put, we'll come back to all that stuff in a while. But it's, mm. but but Tony, it's you. It's you. You're the subject of the interview. And although you love talking about football and you love talking about other players and the situation in the game and the way the game changes, I mean, you are living a, a fascinating life as well. And just one of the issues I wanted to kick off with you about is, po- believe it or not, is poker. Where did you develop your love for poker, and uh, how did you get into it? Um, as a very young boy, my dad's family, which were consisted of seven children and my granddad, um, would play poker or, or play cards at the, at the table after dinner. And he got feisty. My granddad would always end up arguing with his children and telling them where to go, the cards would get ripped up and being thrown in the, uh, in, the in a fire, Mario. And <laughs> one particular occasion, I remember my granddad accusing me of cheating because I was standing over him and my dad won the hand and he said I told, which I hadn't, was standing behind him the whole time, I told my dad what he had. And it literally erupted. And it sort of started there. Started there, And I always was intrigued by cards. And there were other games. Chess I really enjoyed and drafts. My dad was a really good drafts player. Um, chess is a lot more complicated. But I really enjoyed games of, you know, that elk. Um, and... Poker, as you know, changed enormously in a, in a dramatic way, um, really, after I finished playing football. And I'd always played, but not to the level I did until I got to after football, really. And do you play, was it, was it Texas Hold'em or five-card stud? Or... Well, there's a number of games. I played high-low high Omaha yep. and, and Omaha itself, which is Basically, you use two of any of your... Because there's four, five, six as well. You can play four-card home or five-card, six-card. The mm. most traditional one is four-card, um, but you can play more-card, which is more gambling, really. There's far more permutations. But then I got into Hold'em and had success quite quickly, bizarrely. I got invited to a... Um, I worked for a company called Littlewoods, and um, they invited me to go and play in a poker tournament, and I ended up winning it. Um, I mean, it was a bit of a, oh, this is easy, which is obviously not the case, but uh, it, it really felt easy. And I, I think up to this, up to date, I mean, there's, I had won some money in the Caribbean as well, which isn't on the list, but in the, on the Hendon Mob site, I think I'm up to about 600,000 in earnings, in career earnings, in poker tournaments. Oh, God. Um, and, and I haven't played a poker tournament for oh, eight years. I only see this is where you're going to think this is a bit we well. Um, I only used to play poker tournaments if I was put in, which right. is the, the initial amount you need to put up to play entry, you know, entry into a tournament. Yes. And Littlewoods would sponsor me, so okay. I, I had I had a very privileged role. And I, after I obviously, I like all things Mario, they end, and I didn't play for Littlewoods anymore. Um, I didn't get invites to play. I still do every now and again. Yes. But I, I found it crazy to put my own money when I didn't have to. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So there's a massive difference between what you were doing, get playing poker, and somebody who's basically gambling. In other words, you weren't even gambling. No, I was going a free ride and, and I could play my game. I, although I was really, really, really careful, I didn't throw it away. I was, you know, I wasn't a type of player that just go crazy. Mm. Um, and I just think with- it's not... So it sounds like you were a decent poker player. Why? How are you? Like, did you figure out that you were a decent player? Did you learn that you were a decent poker player? Did you? Um, yeah, I How would say, I, I think you have to learn very quickly that the, if you're 
if you're very reckless enough as a player, you can have a roller coaster ride and you can get loads and loads of chips. And I, I'm more reckless in the early stages of a tournament. But once it's settled down, hands tend to play themselves as you go deeper into a tournament. Mm. So I was very loose in early stages and very tight towards the end because basically all scenarios would be raise, re-raise, all in. You know, and that, but that doesn't really happen in level one, two, and three in major tournaments. Yeah. That, so I was always a bit more reckless and felt I could, people would put their hands down more lightly. So I, I learned that. And then really just knowing the numbers, the maths of, you know, what, but what, what about possibility? people? What about people, Tony? Did you, did you find that you had any, any decent way of, of reading people or getting to know people or feeling a vibe on a table or learning tells or shows, as they say? Yeah. My biggest one would be patterns of betting. Mm. I think people give more away by patterns than reactions and looking for little edges here and there of how they're acting. Mm. I always felt patterns were the biggest thing, which is basically how they bet pre-flop, how they bet flop, when they have a hands, how much they bet. It's all related to how much they bet, really. You normally find there's some players who will play really tight but get incredibly aggressive when they've got a really big hand. So (laughs) I would sometimes spot that and then think, now I know he's got a big hand. You know, and and that sounds pretty obvious thing because he's betting big. But there are there are very few players who know how to trap you really well. Um, I think because you you give a lot of information nearly every hand you play, you know, of how you're playing yeah, and yeah. what type of cards you're playing. Yeah. You know, sometimes I've played hands, Mary. I've given away chips deliberately just to see what the guy's got. Yeah. What he start what his starting hand was. Yes. You know, I I sometimes Have a look. call. Yeah, and I'm not thinking I'm probably not winning here, but I've got to just see how he's playing yes. and what sort of cards he's playing in which position. You know, as you've played poker, the position's very, very important. And being uh, acting after somebody is an advantage. It's yes. only a small one, but it's still an advantage that matters. Yes, yes. Interesting, interesting. Tony, you came out of the, I suppose, you came out of one of the last generations of footballers that probably, that weren't on the super money. Do you know that kind of uh, yes. thing? And I remember, I think it was about 1988, and I remember hearing John Barnes has signed a new contract for Liverpool. And I remember all of us, I remember me being a Liverpool fan and going, yes, Barnes has signed for <coughs> Liverpool. Fantastic. Oh, my God, you wouldn't believe the money he signed for. He signed for mm. 6000 a week. Oh, Jesus, God. Nobody mm. had ever heard of that kind of money. 6000 yeah. a week. And, of course... It doesn't need me to tell you like what it is, what it is now. I'm wondering, you know, did, do you ever kind of, um, do you ever, does it ever, does it continually marvel you the difference between how quickly it's changed nowadays compared to back in your day, just in every single respect? No, Mario. Um, and I've had this conversation with Irish players who will back me up on this, that I said in 96, there'll be a hundred thousand pound player before 2000. And there was a week. Now, I say that because if you look, and it's a bit more detailed than that, if you, I've done a study um, every decade, okay, from the 80s, 90s, the highest wage in England was for sort of people like Kenny Sampson in 81, Peter Shilton, about 3,000 a week in 80, 81. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. If you go to the end of the decade, which gets to the 90s, John Barnes was the highest paid player on 10,000 a week. So he impro- he's, okay, so that's three times more in a decade, just over, yeah? Yes. Well, in 1990 to 2000, 
that 10,000 became 100,000. So that went, that decade was ten, tenfold. Yes. Okay. Now, obviously, the influence of TV um, was massive and, you know, crowds and just basically everything from sponsorships, everything went through, through the roof with Sky. Um, so that, te- that was tenfold. But increased 2000 uh, to 2000, 2010, it, we got to 230,000 a week. Okay. Roundabout. That's yeah. not, it's a roundabout. So we go, so again, it's two and a half times more. And now we go to 2020, we are now looking at 400,000 a week with Erlen Ireland. Now, we know that other players at Man United will pay more. So this has happened before. So we again can go to, well, it's gone up two and a half times in this last decade from 2010. Are you with me, Mario? Yeah? Oh, I am. I am with you. Okay. Right. So now, if we want to be really, really, you know, if I said to you that if we go up, if we say, yeah, let's go pretty conservative and go 400,000 a week is the top right now. Okay. If we go really conservative and say it goes up two to two and a half times again, someone's getting a million a week by 2030. Right? Yep. So that seems laughable. By 240, that would be probably <laughs> five million a week. Now, we laugh, but that is, if you look at the history of football and look at every decade and you look at clubs' revenues, it's just, and people always say, what if TV goes? And I'm like, yeah, okay. So no one's going to take over TV then, is there? Yeah. We'll just look in the world and see what's happened with all the technology companies and, and how yeah. much money they're making. They're being like a shock. Having said that, Tony, what was your first wage at Gillingham? £100 a week. £105, <laughs> okay. because I was getting £100 a week uh, for my job, and the manager said, I'll give you an increase, and uh, I'll give you 105 And is it true that you were famously sold for a, ba- for a bag of tracksuits? Well, it's a bit of an exaggeration, but it's I was sold for kit, cones, and other things. <laughs> so there wasn't just tracksuits. <laughs> so you were cones as well. Ah, fuck yeah. sake, Tony. That's fantastic. Sure, what? I mean, if I'd known about the cones, I wouldn't have asked you. No, um, I say that because what happened is I was at a Crock and Hill, which is in the Kent League, and I wasn't under contract. So they couldn't ask the fee for me. But what Gillingham did as a gesture, offered equipment, tracksuits, cones, balls, all the stuff. Said, look, we'll buy you a load of stuff, whether that comes to a couple of grand or whatever. That's what they did. So it always stuck. It's like most stories, Mario, don't they? You get, it goes from one place and ends up at another, but it's still relatively quite true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you, that, 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 that other one, that before one of your first, before you started uh, for one of your clubs, um, you had a double wimpy, a chips and a knickerbocker glory. Yes. And I'm just thinking about the players' diets and how they're controlled <laughs> and how they're, they're, they're baby fed and they have minders and teams around them and, and you know, dietitians around them. <laughs> and you had the... T- well, the, the, babble, the bubble wrap world, you mean, Mario? The bubble wrapped world, Is yeah. Because, yeah. Well, I just say to that, Mario, I left Chelsea in 1994 and I was on about 7,000 a week. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I joined Marseille and, I was, and they gave me a contract for 12,000 a week. God. In 94. Yes. So, okay, now right, that's, so, that's quite serious money. So you were at the start, actually, of the really good money. Yes, I was. But the Chelsea dressing room, which is quite extraordinary, because although Ken Bates was the chairman at the time, when I left in 94, about the best was about eight, around 8,000. Yes. Andy Townsend was, he left just before me, but he was pretty close to that. And Dennis Wise and whatever. But by 96, their wage bill, I thought I'd had a great deal, get to 12,000 within two years, like to 96. Yeah. Dennis Wise was saying to me, they're getting 30,000 now a week. 
Chelsea. Yeah. They did. Yeah. And they had the influx of people like Rupoli and Viali and, you know, many, many yeah. more. I remember so, Ravanelli, Ravanelli, when he came to um, Middlesbrough, he was on 45 grand a week or something. And everybody, I remember that being a yes. huge headline in, in the yeah. English. So, oh, am- yes. Amazing. Yeah. But, but, yeah. but, but, yeah, exactly. So oh, that kind of money. But what I meant when I asked you that was, it's, it's dawned on me, and I'm presuming it's dawned on you as well, that like, Pretty much every player in the Premier League, let's say, right, that's playing now, will never have to work a day in their life ever again after they are finished football. Whereas (laughs) whereas you and everybody from your ilk weren't in that position. So it's it's, it's truly extraordinary. Well, one thing that is, is wrong in that statement, there will be players that will lose everything, without a doubt, even with this extraordinary money today. That, that is inevitable because I learned pretty quickly that there are, look, there's a lot of things that can happen to you that you can lose your money on. Investments, because you have, obviously, you have people advising you, financial advisors, you take commissions and fees on nearly everything you do. That can be a problem. You have people I know in the game today have had their pension funds literally blown away by people within the pension funds. You've had, you can put divorces in there. You can put um, really just mismanagement of your own money. You know, if you... Defamation trials? Oh, well, any... I mean, look, honestly, there is loads and loads of ways to lose lots of money. And what you must understand, or what we must understand is when someone comes forward to a proposition of, you know, I don't know, an investment, and they say to you, right, you put this amount in. If you said to a professional footballer today, okay, if you put 20 grand in here, it'd be worth 40. He's not going to bother. He's not going to bother if he's earning 100,000, 200,000 a week. Mm. If you put in, say, something, well, you need to put five million in this, which I know one professional, I can't name him, but put three million in about five years ago into an investment that went absolutely belly up and lost every, lost the whole three million. Mm. That is still going to happen. That mm. was without a doubt. There yeah. are going to be players. Look, you you could be really sensible with it just by property, and which exactly. some of them do. And pay, and, your tax, and pay your tax. And pay your tax. Yes. Or, because, you see, if you're earning, people seem, if you're earning 20 million a week, 10 million of that is going to be tax. So if you're not paying your tax, you're going to be ending up, you know, you're going to end up owing and being bankrupt quite quickly. Well, well the one good thing that we, we have is you get deducted at source. So right. all your money is your, is your own in England. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I've always been very careful of the narrative that people will never have to work again. Well, I, sure. there's enough evidence of the past who players will yeah. run up. So when, when, you, when you finished football, did you, did you make money? Did you have money? Did you, did you get a start, as it were, when you finished football? I was okay. I mean, it was okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd look, it's a, it's a tricky one because you're asking probably the worst person in the world. You know, I... You know, I made some mistakes, but I did most things myself and done okay with investments, as in buying a nice property to live in and, you know, not having much of a mortgage and then suddenly have a second property, which I've done at times. Uh, but I'd be sitting here lying, Mario. The biggest thing that happened to me was divorce twice. Yeah. yeah. And it come at a huge cost um, that affected really everything. Because you can never, well, say never, but... I could never get, earn the same money as what I'm earning in the media now that I earn as a player. Even yeah. going back to 1994, you know, I'd never get 12 grand a week now. You know, you just wouldn't. Yeah. You know, I do well in what I earn. Yeah. But, you know, that money is 26 years old now. 
Yeah. And I would never even get close to that. So it's, it does take a, a huge chunk and affects you in another way. Um, but I'd still managed and done, I think I've done really well. I'm on the right road again and, you know, I'm fine. Absolutely. Um, but, but, but I do wonder though, Tony, I mean, because my, my wife and I always say to each other, when, when are we always kind of at our best as a kind of a couple or as a house? And I always find that we're at our best when we're, um, not when we're, when we're striving, I suppose, when things aren't easy, but we're trying really hard. And yes. it kind of brings out the best in you as people. Um, it focuses you. It backs, makes you back each other up. It keeps your eye on what's going on. It keeps you healthy. Um, it get, gets you to bed early, gets you up early, and c- keeps you healthy. And I always feel that having something, you know, being, being really motivated um, by having to meet deadlines and by having to keep the balls in the air makes you be your best person. And I kind of just wonder about all these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of young people that are going to come out as I said, with millions in the bank, maybe I foolishly said they'll never have to work again. But you'd really worry about their future, Tony. I'm sorry. I know that sounds funny because, like, they'll have all this money. But you'd really worry about some of their futures. What the hell are you going to do? Well, that's why I say to you, there's a lot of people invest badly because that boredom inevitably takes them somewhere not very good. <laughs> you know, they start investing in stuff they don't know much about. I always said I'd never buy a bar, never have a mm. nightclub. I don't know nothing about it. Um, you know, I've never built, or I have built my own property, but I, I wouldn't go into a building company because uh, I'd never had to because I went down the media road. But one thing you touched on there is that if you've driven to get up and do things, and you, I now am more professional than I ever was as a player ah. because when I, when I left football, and Andy Townsend is exactly the same, by the way. Yeah. Andy was a real... Um, you know, football, he was sort of turn up late and, you know, he, he, he had this attitude of, but, you know, he just never, maybe I'm being a bit unfair. I always thought Andy was quite easy for him football. So he tended to be sort of lackadaisical about things. The day he come out of football, he worked really hard in the media. And I said to him, same thing. I said, well, I'm doing it because I felt I was lazy in football. Mm-hmm. I didn't do enough prep work about and more professional than I should have been. I said, and I'm not going to be accused of the same thing in media. So I now work a lot harder. So, And there are players that are quite clear, or I, I see now come out of the game, who don't do anything. They, they come up, they don't even watch a game sometimes, and they're there to talk about it. And, they, and you sort of think, why are you on the show? You know, why are you doing it when you don't, you're openly, your knowledge is not where it should be. If, if you're going to come on, at least do some homework. And I see that a lot. And I, I do think you're right. You've got a real point. There are the players that don't need to do it, but might do it just to pass a bit of time, but not do it very well. Well, they're gone pretty quickly in media. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who do you enjoy yourself as a, as a fellow pundit? Who do you enjoy listening well, to or watching? Well, I've got, um, I think Don Goodman's a great commentator. I think, um, I mean, obviously I'll be biased because I think Andy's really good. He, he really gets cool. I love Keeney, but for different reasons because I, I think he's just found his perfect role, if you like. I think, and although I know him and I don't believe a lot of it because he's he hated punditry, so I've always had that hypocritical sort of thing towards him. But I do think he's great, he's great entertainment, um, because of the way he talks and just his reactions and his facial expressions is funny to me. Um, and then who else would I say? I mean, there's a lot, there's loads of players that I mean you just think you know they're, they're forging their career and do really really well I mean I you know people like 
I've seen Liam Brady on RTE and, you know, Ray Houghton and Ronnie, and I think they're all really good. They, yeah. You know, they, they're, they're all really good yeah. Sort have of you ever had discuss- of football. Have you ever had discussions with RTE yourself about working in... Not really, no. I never... Sometimes you just don't tick a box. Um, yeah. You know, you just don't. And I, I've never bothered me. I've never phoned up anyone, Mario. Yeah. I don't, I don't pick up the phone to say, oh, I'm available, can do this. Or I, I don't. If someone wants me, I, I'm there. I don't have an agent. Um, sometimes people have said to me, you need one. And I was like, I don't really now. I've had an established column for the Times for 22 yeah, years. Yeah. I've, I've been in media talk sport for the best part of 20. Yeah. Um, I do other things as well. Um, so I've not really, I've never felt the necessity. Look, if I want to go down the road to try to find adverts and all the things like that, I'm not really... Fast at exactly. Yeah. So, I, I was watching. Um. Uh. I was. I was watching a little archive footage there. Um. Of nineteen ninety. Right. And it was. I think it was the night. I think it was the night you had been beaten. Possibly the night you you, you guys had been beaten by Italy, in the quarterfinals. Mm. And so it may have been after that game. And I think it was back in the hotel. You probably remember the night. Um. And yeah. I think so. Around the, there was a load of you all gathered around for a sing song, and it was night time. I think Krista Berg was there. And, yes. and I was going, I just love to be there now on that night because Christopher <laughs> rewrote his song "The Lady in Red" and everything, and, yeah. and started saying, "Yeah, I mean, yeah. just do you ever get sick of talking about those memories?" No. Well, then let's talk no. about some of them. Now, well, look, we were a really special group. Um, had a special manager, and we had a fan base that loved us. Really, no matter what we do. I mean, I can remember being before that tournament. One of the funniest is the um, what's the name? Is it Abracadabra in Dublin? Yeah, Abracadabra. Yeah, I'll say it right. But anyway, um, we were all in there. It was about eight of us, all Irish players, buying a gone kebabs and whatever. And there was all Irish fans in there. They couldn't believe we was all having a you know a kebab on the literally outside the shop and doing. Uh, I tell you, one of my favourite memories, Mario, I was um, I was with when Lisa. Street was opening strings if you go back that far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me and Andy Townsend arrived and we knew the owner. I think her name was Anne, uh, but we knew her anyway. And we used to go down there and we, you know, because we got looked after and blah, blah, blah. And we arrived and when we walked in, there was a homeless guy on the side of the, ro- uh, the, side of the road on Leeson Street playing, you know, just sort of with a guitar trying, trying to raise some money. And we walked past him and we went downstairs and we stayed in there for about 15, 20 minutes and Andy went, Come, let's go back upstairs. And I said, what? For? He said, let's go and see the homeless guy. And I went, all right, go down there. And he, Andy's got him and he's gone, give us your guitar. All right. So he said, Cass, what can you, what were you seeing? And I went, well, the only one I know, Andy's American Pie. So the only one I went, right. Because Andy can play the guitar. Yeah. So he, says, so he got his guitar and I started singing American Pie. I mean, and I've not got a very good voice at all. And uh, this homeless guy, we were just like, people Fucking hell, it's Tony Cascarino and Andy Townsend. <laughs> and we're laughing. People were giving money. We're like, yeah. And Andy <laughs> had gone, without me knowing, Andy had gone back downstairs and got him a bottle of champagne, which I don't know if that was a good idea, but stuck it to gold. This is him. But that was very, very funny. That was, yeah. you know, but that was typical Andy. And so we both got carried away. And But the relationship was always there. The, the fans were just, it, you know, seeing the, been in front of playing Holland and obviously the tree colour and the, the, the orange colours was unbelievable. I experienced it in 88, Mario. It was unbelievable being at the stadium. We played them in 90 as well, seeing so many Irish fans and so many Dutch fans. And it was just, 
And also because it's, you know, like football, especially in the last week or so, but it's been coming for a while. It's been happening in France for over a year or so. But it's become a, a real hooligan element again in football. It's pretty real. It's, it's out in front of us. We're seeing the stuff that's happened with Nottingham Forest and Billy Sharp getting stitches. This has been going on for a probably sort of post-pandemic and all the trouble with the Euros in England. And we had a fan base. I can't remember a incident no. all the years I played for Ireland. No, I want to ask you about the hooligan thing in a minute for another reason. But actually, just back to the Holland game in 1990. Do you remember that famous moment towards the end of the game where it seemed as if there was something going on on the pitch? Basically, the ball, basically the game kind of half stopped and everybody started playing the ball sideways and backwards and sideways and backwards. And the commentator was getting embarrassed because, you know, George Hamilton was there, Staunton, back to McCarthy, back to Staunton, Boner, McCarthy, Staunton. There's nothing much happening here. And uh, was there a conversation or not between Rude Hullet and Mick McCarthy? Yes, yes. Was there? Yeah. Calm down. Slow down. It's okay. It's good. It was an agreement. It's one of them sort of... It wasn't like, look, let's just not try and beat you. It's just like, calm down. This is so, good. We're so good. there was a kind of a euphemism. There was that. a euphemism. It was just like, let's take it easy, lads. We're, we're yes. grand. We're grand. Let's calm down. Yeah. A standoff, a really. Standoff. And, but nobody had... T- yeah, nobody had told me and Quinny because we were running around like lunatics up front and everyone else was calm down. But he got the message got to us within like a minute Excellent. or so. But yeah, it was. It was not like a a deliberate attempt to, to see out the game. But no. It was more of a... Look, I don't know if you remember Austria-Germany in 82, do you? Yes, yes. Yeah. That was horrific. Like that, they, yeah. they, they basically played out the whole game as a standoff. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, no that, that, yeah, yeah, that it didn't happen in the same way, but no. it was, it probably happened about about seventy-five minutes, something like that, wasn't it? It started yeah. to be the yeah. difference, Mario. Yeah, now, do you, you was, have ki- you have kids, right? Yes, I got. Seven. What, what age are all? What age are they all? Seven. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, yeah, I got five boys and two daughters. Uh, well, one of them's a stepdaughter, a angel. That's my other half's uh, daughter. Yeah, and I've got five boys, um, and I got another daughter called Maiva who lives in uh, Tahiti. So I've got three children living in Tahiti. Oh. One lives in Vietnam. Uh, Michael, my oldest, lives in England. Yeah. So there's, for my youngest, Rocco, which is now six coming up seven, which is um, wow. my, my, my wife, Jo. We've got a little boy who's absolutely gorgeous and yeah. a real character. Yeah. Um, but then he's got, then then it goes Josh, Wills, uh, that I forget the forget me and Mario. <laughs> um, <laughs> Josh Wills, um, uh, Angel. Just think, seven cards stood. Ted, Michael. <laughs> I think of Myva. Yeah, I've got them all there. That's the right way around. Well, the oldest is Michael, and the youngest is Rocco. Okay. Well, you know the wonder um, when when it, when your when your kid asks you a question that you know they come to that stage where they ask you a question about something that's obvious and you're going, Jesus, they're asking me that question for the first time um, and I have to explain it to them now. Well, my boy, right, he's, called, he's 14 and he's called Dash. Right. And uh, he was asking me the other day, Dad, tell me about these football hooligans. Like, what is wow. the deal with these guys? So he, he, knew, he knows a little bit about them. So, so, for example, how is it that, like, I don't understand. Some, some of them aren't even into the football, Dad. Like, they just go to these games, they kind of dress up, they do their shit, and then they go back into work on a Monday. What is it all about? And I was, I, I was remembering that question that he asked because I knew I was going to be talking to you. And, of course, Tony, you famously played for Millwall. 
And Millwall, of course, like Eamon Dunphy would have told you, is one of the hotbeds of football, you know, bad behaviour, hooliganism all throughout the, the, the you know, pr- the, the, the history of, of the Premier League and Premiership and all that sort of stuff. And I was kind yeah. of going, did you ever come to terms with it in your own head and wonder, what are these guys? What is it? What is the deal? Well, it's very tribal, that's for sure. Um, there is a group mentality where, you know, whatever they do is fine and what whatever anyone else does is wrong. I mean, Millwall was a pretty extraordinary club to play for. I played for, well, I could give you all four of them. I could give you the worst four that were probably in Europe or certainly part of it. Millwall, Chelsea, Marseille, not so much Celtic, but, uh, you know, have a huge following that's very demanding. Mm. Marseille was bad. Marseille had leaders of every group. So there were the winners, the Yankees, the 69ers, and a couple of others. And they, they were feisty. They looked for trouble. Um, it's very hard to understand the mentality of guys in there, and especially Millwall. Mr. Millwall have the bushwhackers. The bushwhackers are all in their 50s. So they're older. And at Millwall, there's two sections. There's the younger element out of Broccoli and the senior guys that more are New Cross or, or have left the South London but are part of the bushwhackers. They sometimes fight each other. Now, you can't imagine that the younger element than the, the senior guys are 50 plus fight each other, supporting the same club. Mm. What happened, there's a rivalry between them because they want to be known as tougher than the Bushwhackers. And the Bushwhackers at 50-odd want to prove that they still run this ship, you know? It's really, really, it's, you can't imagine. And I, I've got a couple of people I knew and grew up with were in the Bushwhackers because I come from, you know, obviously my family is from Elephant and Castle, my dad's side. And... I can't believe that these people are still doing what they're doing. Jesus. And, and it's hard to explain. How do you get into, it's like, did you not ever grow up? You want to say to him, like, you know, and I've said to one of my friends who's part, did you not ever want to come out of it and sort of grow up and fight him? And they say, love it. Most, um, Mario, there's a big drugs problem within football as well. You know, fans taking all sorts. It used to be drink, but there's other things now. Um, and you've seen it spiral out of control. There was a, you know, what happened in Marseille with England fans when the, the Russian fans attacked them, that was military position, a position sort of, you know, preparation of an attack. You know, in Europe, they've now got into all this because of martial arts and UFC, MLA and all this. There, there seems to be organised gangs who want to fight other gangs. And they are football-related, but it's all up. In France, it's become a real problem. If you look at what's happening in French football over the last 18 months, stadium closure have been regular. It's been quite common. Mm. But it's, 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 society has gone a bit like this as well, but it is a gang-tribal mentality and do whatever it is to defend your team and fight somebody else's team for the right to be the toughest and... I, I just don't I, don't, I don't get it. I was at a game at Wembley with Millwall and it was um, against Scunthorpe. It was a playoff game and I got invited along. I went to the game and on the way back, there was a Scunthorpe coach get loading, just getting in peacefully and someone's gone, it's a, it's a Scunthorpe coach. And literally, guys just run at the coach, drag people off the coach, punching them. I'm thinking, this is just, what, are you, what possesses you to do this? Or, you know, just witnessing that. And, I spoke out on radio and it didn't go down well because I said I'd had enough of no one likes us, don't, we don't care. I said, I hate Millwall fans singing this. Mm. I said, because that, that, to me, it's just, it's, 
it just everything, the, that image of oh, where the toughest, where they are, mm. this and all this, I just found it's very, very immature. Come here, did you, did you, who did you room with when you were playing for Ireland? Andy and Noel Quinn. Noel Quinn Niall, and Andy. Oh, Niall. Niall, yeah. Niall was, um, God, did he sleep? God, I've never known anybody to sleep so long. I used to call him Rip Van Winkle because he literally 20 years of sleep, Quinny. Yeah, yeah. But good fun. Do you Both guys still keep fun. in touch? Now and again, I speak to Quinny, Andy, probably twice a week. Ah. You know, Andy, well, we go back to 11-year-olds, Mario. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a long time ago, but we were connected at Chelsea and we connected with Ireland. And, and he was associated, and, and Andy, of course, was, was responsible for that documentary, wasn't he, about Jack Charles? Yes. Well, he played a part because he knew Gab- Gabriel Clark. Yeah. And Gabriel, he assisted him. And uh, well, I spoke to Andy a lot over that. Uh, making of that series yeah. and we were chatting a lot and he asked me if I wanted to and I said if you need me Andy just call me but he, yeah. I think they had too much material and I, yeah. I mean look it was brilliant I loved it I thought it was yeah. a real good you know if, if you was going to describe Jack it, it portrayed him brilliantly it did you know he it did he really did yeah. yeah tell me the story I love the story um, but I, I want to hear it from you tell me the story of, of 1990 and after the Italy game and it was a Charles Hawhey coming into your dressing room <laughs> I love it. Well, Go this on. is look, this is Quinny, right? Because Quinny yeah. knows this story, and I did say it, that it was slightly exaggerated, but basically, it's brilliant. Yeah, he comes in, and I ask Quinny, who, who, "Who's that?" And he said, "It's Atisha." And I go, "Oh, right, okay." And then Andy says to me, who's sitting next to me, and he says, "Who did he say?" I said, "Some fellow runs a tea shop." <laughs> And it was a joke. It wasn't, um, it wasn't, you know, Quinny made out that I really did, you know, Saturday made out. He, he knew. It was basically, I said that to Andy. Oh, fantastic. Uh, uh, you know, some fellow owns a cheese, tea yeah. shop. Ah, <laughs> oh, Jesus. And do you remember, do you remember the day of the Pope visit, that you visited the Pope? Yes. yes. Me- very well. Hilariously funny. Who? Where were you standing, I mean, at the back or at the front or...? Oh well, we 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 went to we went to two places. Obviously, he did his service, which was done in seven different languages, and we were, you know, it was a hot day. And if you you know imagine a sermon being given or service being given, and seven different languages, you get really, and it was hot inside. And and Jack was being Jack, and said, "Does he realise I'm more famous than him?" And that joking, and you know, typical Jack Charlton. And then we sit sit there, and of course, when he goes for all the different languages, the same thing. So people started nodding off and, you know, and we were like, but we had great fun. But the funniest was when we went to the Sistine Chapel because Packy Bonner, you might have heard this story, but Packy Bonner were with John Paul II, who was a semi-professional goalkeeper, right? So we were in the Sistine Chapel and we're looking, there's a group of us, we're all looking, and Packy's doing all the hand movements of goalkeeping and John Paul II, yeah, and you can see them talking and blah, doing all this and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and it went on for a few minutes and we were all laughing about Pope giving the Pope goalkeeping lessons, basically. Right? So then we fast forward and when we played Italy and Packy makes a mistake and we lose 1-0. But the brilliance of Jack is that when we come back into the dressing room, Jack had thanked everybody and said, look, great trip. You've all done brilliant. Go and enjoy your holidays. He said, just go and enjoy it now. You've been absolutely superb from start to finish. Go and enjoy your holidays. He said, and Packy, the, the Pope would have saved that. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we all burst out. So we're all laughing. We've been about five minutes of the, the, the end of the game because he said, Packy, the go- 
uh, the Pope would have saved that, oh. which was, uh, you know, they, we had a really good mix. Sometimes you don't know until you go into other groups, you know, other sort of dressing rooms. And we had an unbelievable dressing room. It could be every, anything and everything. It was mm. very funny. And we just, you know, I and Jack, Jack always said if we had a, he, he always wanted Gary Lineker. He always said, I want a Lineker type of player. He said, because one thing he never had, and look, look, loads of people did really well, from John Aldridge to uh, Johnny Byrne and David Kelly. He wanted a lightning fast, fast striker because yeah. he felt that suited our style. And he was right. We, we did need that type of forward that would just devastate because he wanted to turn teams. Yeah. Do you know, um, sorry, uh, Tony, this has been brilliant and thank you. There's um, During the podcast, of course, whenever I do the podcast, I have lots of people listening live to the podcast. Right, okay. And so yeah, they, yeah, can okay. Co- they can come in and talk and ask you questions and oh, stuff okay. as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, yeah so, so it's all good. So there's loads of people waiting to talk to you. Um, yes. So actually, I see Steve Staunton is on the line. Would you say hello to Steve Staunton? Stan. All right there, Kaz. Uh, uh, ah, yes. Oh, is that the real stand or is that Mario? No, this is, this is the real stand here. <laughs> I want to know, Kaz, do you remember the cross I sent in in 1989 there for a one-all draw? I just remember this beanpole going up and nodding it in the back of the net there. Do you remember who, who sent in the cross? Yes, yeah, Steve. Steve Stolen, you. Fantastic cross, wasn't it? Um, well, we, we were very lucky... Um, oh, I was very lucky that we had Dennis Irwin, we had Chrissy Morris, we had I'm Steve Stone and Kevin Sheedy and yourself. Yeah, brilliant, unbelievable. That's oh, right. Robbie yeah. Keane is on the line. Say hello to Robbie. Hi, <laughs> are you Robbie? How are you, how are you doing, Tony? It's great to talk to you. Now, listen, I love hearing about your interest. I never knew you were into the cryptocurrency. Or maybe that's out of context. I don't know. Well, uh, listen, I have a question for you, Tony Rui. Uh, yeah. How many clubs did you play for? Well, nine in. Uh, I only played one game for Red Star, but it was. Red Star really 93, eight. that's right. Now, yeah. how many clubs did I play for? Um, seven. No. Go on. I thought you were good at the numbers. No, I, I'm just trying to think. Coventry Wolves, uh, Tottenham, Liverpool. No, I've, had um, more, I've had more clubs than Tiger Woods. Enter Milan. <laughs> Aston Villa, Galaxy, yes. ATK, 11 clubs, Tony, 11 clubs. 11, wow. Yeah. I should have gone more than me. Really. Brilliant. That's... Tony, Roy Keane's on the line. He's in his car. <laughs> Say hello. Hi, Roy. How's it going? What the hell are you going on about that game with the matchsticks for? I thought we said that would be private at the end of the day. What the hell is going on? And you're laughing at me. You're laughing at me gambling over 50p. 50p. Look after the pence and the pounds will take care of themselves. <laughs> This is the fella that doesn't even play for his own stake on poker. And you're asking me, you don't even pay. Littlewood's paid for you at the end of the day. Littlewood's. And you're now, you're, 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 you're giving me hassle for, 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 uh, for, for reminding me 50 pence. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Jesus Christ. You're an absolute uh, disgrace. A shambles. Same old Kaz. Same old Kaz. Same yeah, old I must apologise. Must apologise to that. Just stop giving away the stories. <laughs> Those stories are meant to, meant to remain behind closed doors at the end of the day. It's brilliant. He's a good man. Um, yeah. Jason McAteer's on the line. Say hello to Jason. Hi, Jay. All right, uh, uh, Kaz. <laughs> uh, I've forgotten what I was going to say there. Sorry. 
Oh yeah, have you ever had a run in with the player? No, not really. No, I've never had a fight in eighteen years with football. All right. Oh, that's it. That's all I've got. <laughs> Is that it? That sounds got, about right with Jason. I've just got nothing else. Sorry. <laughs> Mick McCarthy's on the line. Say hello. Are you, are you gaffer, I should say. All right, then. All right, then, Tony. All right. Tony. <laughs> Tony, Tony, Tony. You know what I love about you, Tony? That you don't give a bollocks about social media. <laughs> it's all Twitter this and Instagram that and pox flicks this and pox flack that and bloody hell. You were a great player, Tony. Great player. I had some fantastic days. Turkey, Izmir, Abracababra. Maybe you should learn how to pronounce Abracababra, Tony. That's your problem. You were, you, you were well able to eat it, Tony, but not able to pronounce it. Well able to eat it. Well able to eat it. Um, he lives around the corner from me, Mario. No, I know yeah. I do. I know I do. <laughs> That's it. Sorry. I know I do, Tony. Yeah. I know I live around the corner. Why are you telling well, me? Why are you here, Tony? <laughs> <laughs> well, Mick, invite me for a game of golf, soon because you, you haven't been around for about. What a year. are you playing off now, Tony? Um, about fourteen. All right, all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. The bandit. Not bad. The bandit. He loves his numbers, does Tony? <laughs> he always, he always exaggerates his numbers. When he says fourteen, he means six. Oh, no, I wouldn't be. Not, not at all, Mick. Brilliant, brilliant. Boris Johnson's on the line. Say hello, Boris. Why is yeah. he phoning me? Uh, he's a big fan. I doubt it. He doesn't like football. Say hello. Do you, Boris? First of all, Tony, let me start by saying I love somebody with a triple a triple nationality on their passport. You have an Italian, which is European. We have an Irishman who said he wasn't an Irishman, and then the passport was a bit confused. Said, and then we also have an Englishman. So, Tony, I was wondering, could you sit in for me on the Northern Irish Assembly as a mole, so to speak, so that we could understand their mentality? And of course, I like football. I love football, Tony. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Gillingham, Crockenhill, bags of tracksuits, wimpies, burgers, chips, everything, Tony. I love it, love it, love it. Well, I can see, Boris, you like a burger. That's for sure. Whoa, 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 whoa. That was, that was un- uncool for my friend. Uncool. Low blow, low blow, Mr. Cascarino. <laughs> and um, you, you, you described Glenn Hoddle as the unfunniest man you'd ever met. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, well, I bumped into him, by the way. I bumped into you, if you're going to do Glenn. I bumped into you uh, at the golf course last week at Wentworth and uh, just about got a smile out of you. Yeah. Was he just really literal sort of person, really sort of unironic? Uh, It's really weird to describe. Um, Paul Elliott was a big centre-half Mario at, at Chelsea. He was injured and he came in one day in the dressing room with a big, long leather coat. And as he walked in, Glenn was player manager at the time. And do you remember police squad when they used to fire guns at each from all the <laughs> ridiculous places? Yeah. Glenn, Glenn grabbed a bin and started shooting above the bin, jumping up and down. Right, This is before a game. All the players are looking at him thinking, what are you doing? He's literally going... <laughs> and Paul Elliott's just standing there looking with him with so much contempt, like, you sort of fucking idiot. <laughs> 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 Honestly, he yeah. he really did have a oh, Tony. Just don't, in your own in your own. Um, I don't know if this even applies. Cause I'm an Irishman, right? I mean, obviously, my dad mm. is my dad is half German, but I'm and my granddad was German, but I'm an Irishman, so I feel Irish. I am Irish, mm. and even beyond Irish, when it's rugby, I go for Munster, so I'm a Munster Irishman. Mm. Um, are you an Irishman? 
in your heart? Or are you, um, or, or are you, or does that matter to you? Um, I, it's a really, you're the first person that's really asked that question to me. What I would say is that all my life, I was brought up in Irish schools by an Irish granddad, by an Irish mum, and always had an allegiance to play for Ireland. When the <laughs> offer came, I know when the offer that's came. That's Irish enough. No, when the offer came, I didn't even think about England or anything like that. I just said, and my, I remember going home and telling my granddad. I used to take, I used to take my granddad, who was from Mayo. I used to take him to the pub and he'd have his drink and whatever. And you know, and I knew that if ever I'd played for Ireland, he would be the proudest man in the world. Now he passed away just before I made my Irish um, debut, mm. and that was always in the back of my mind. It's not about. Am I Irish today? Do I have the blood and the the family, the ancestry? And the answer is yes. So I always felt that. And once I played, and I've said this, you know, to many of people who who are not who I'm not doing an interview with, I was never going to be one that played and think, oh, I could go elsewhere after some change and go and play for England. So I'm never leaving, not playing for Ireland. So I've always had that in my mind that although I know I'm not born in Ireland and I don't have an Irish Irish accent and I don't, you know, I don't tick some of the boxes, I've never felt that way. I've always felt it's, you know, I'm very proud to have played for Ireland and loved every moment. And more than anything, I get a huge amount of pride that my mum was delighted and my grandfather was. And with that, if, you know, I, I want to play, I wanted to play for Ireland. I remember going over. I didn't have to go over. Mm. When I made my debut, I didn't have to go over because I was invited. It wasn't a cap. It was for a testimonial. So I went to a testimonial, not knowing that what would happen afterwards. I said, because Seamus McDonough was up Gillingham with me, and he, and he said, uh, you know, have you got any iron? And I said, well, my mum's trees are O'Malley. And I said, yes, as the family has. We have got from Westport, Mayo, and blah, blah, blah. I said, yeah, but obviously I didn't know the, the problem with my mum being adopted at the time. Um, but it, it all came together and I, I never felt anything but really, Marianne. Yeah. Um, my final call, there's another caller on the line. It's actually Matt Cooper. He has got, Matt Cooper's <laughs> on the line. Say hello to Matt, um, uh, Tony. Hiya, uh, Matt. I'm sorry to hear about Leeds' uh, sort of problems at the moment. No, they're not gone down yet. Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso isn't bringing them down, Tony. They're going to stay up. Listen, I know you played at Celebrity Banished Door there a few years ago. So Martin Carney's dropped out of the GAA analysis. Will you will you step up and do a bit of GAA analysis for tomorrow, Tony? Ah, I'd love to. And what an experience that was, Matt. That was an unbelievable. It's one of the funniest six weeks I've had in my honestly in my life. Got the Banished Door. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. hilarious. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> Fantastic. Tony, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and um, and thank you so much for doing this. And, no, it's uh, been a joy, Mario. Oh, no, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. And you look and sound amazing. And listen, continued success and more power to you and uh, see yeah. you down the road. Cheers. Cheers, Thanks, Mario. Tony. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. My thanks to Tony Cascarino. Um, a pleasure to talk to Tony. Um, a hero of all of ours um, for his exploits during that wonderful halcyon period between 1988 and 1994 especially. Thanks to Tony for talking to us and thanks to you for listening and subscribing and following MarioRosenstock at gmail.com Don't be shy, get in touch, give us a follow, tell a friend. See you same time, same place next week. Bye bye.